Blog Talk Radio. And uh, I love it when everything starts as scheduled. So let's see if we can get that started one more time. There we go. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, the weekly mortgage market update, providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. So good to have you with us, everybody. It is Monday, September 12th. The reason we say that is because we have the, uh, the a lot of people listening to this on a downloaded basis, so we're really grateful to have you join in, whether you're live. We have to have a good number of people dialing in live, uh, mostly connected live via the Internet. But for those of you that are listening after the fact, we welcome you, too. It's good to have you with us. It's Monday again, September 12th. This broadcast or podcast, and this podcast was created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals primarily, although we got a large audience everywhere around, even around the world. I'll tell you about that here in just a minute. But we're the proud recipient of the Progress in the Lending Innovation Award. So good to have you with us, everybody. We appreciate you joining us and making this your way of staying on top of all that's going on. In today's Hot Topic segment, we will be talking to Keith Pulaski. I uh, caught up with Keith on Friday, unable to have him on live because of his schedule uh, today, but I pre-recorded an interview with Keith. Remember, we had him on, I believe it was March 28th, um, talking about the process re-engineering that he's doing in his shop, and it is very exciting stuff. And so he's giving us an update of some things and uh, some major things that they've got going on. One of the fastest-growing companies up in the Northeast, um, they caught the attention of the NBA, caught my attention. I met him last year at the... um, at the Motivity Conference. So very exciting to have Keith uh, back on the radio program. I'll be sharing his thoughts and updates, so be sure to stay tuned to the Hot Topic segment. We want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the innovative RateStar uh, program and app. you got to go check that out. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Motivity Solutions with their KPI of the week. We'll have that a little bit later. We also have Velma, which is a virtual electronic marketing assistant. They can help you build stronger, more profitable relationships through their set-it-and-forget email campaigns, or you can create custom campaigns on the fly. Be sure to check out Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A. Again, stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. Or if you really want to have it, get into it and understand it, call my good friend Brent Emler. And I mean he is a good friend. 208-854-7909. Very innovative stuff. And the partnerships they have are very exciting. So get a hold of Brent. Very comprehensive program. Then Simplify, Nancy Alley and the team at Simplify, S-I-M-P-L-I-F-I-L-E.com, have some technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents in a real-time chat and messaging format, allowing you to track changes on documents, send and receive and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arrive, all in a real-time electronic communications exchange. Best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all those communications, so it eliminates the he said, she said, uh, very quickly, so it's great stuff. Simplifile.com, check them out or call Nancy Alley and the team at 1-800-460-5657. Looking forward to having Nancy come on the program and give us an update on all the things world going on in their world and world of closing and e-notes. Big deal about e-notes. D&H, looking forward to being with them next week at the Motivity Conference in Denver. In fact, we're going to be doing a broadcast um, with their equipment in my booth, but they're going to be sponsoring it. and very excited to have them here with us. They're a company that's 140 years old with 5,500 employees worldwide, supporting 8,000 clients in 70 countries. I would say that is success. So be sure to check them out, what they can do, and their technology solutions can do for you by going to mortgagebot.com or call them at 1-800-815-5592, 1-800-815-5592. Of course, we always very grateful for our relationship with the Mortgage Collaborative, founded by past five presidents of the NBA. The Mortgage Cooperative is a collaborative or a co-op that gives its members the opportunity to meet 
and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In this business, which is such a relationship-driven, it's oftentimes who you know is as important as what you know. Learn more, go to themortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Zerbinski at 440-552-0691, the power of the network. Of course, we always say a special thank you to Alice and Andy and Joe and Paul and Sam and everyone who makes this program so exciting. This is a really important program because we have something new. We have actually got our own producer and engineer now on board. We have Jeff and Terry Sellers, longtime experts on this area. They uh, used to work at a TV station years ago, and we're honored to have them joining us. And, and they'll be behind the scenes making this, taking this whole program to the next level. Very excited to have them on board. Also, we have the upcoming NBA conferences. Real quickly, the October annual conference is almost just about sold out. I mean, I don't think you could sell it out. They'll keep selling tickets knowing the NBA. But I tell you, it's getting more and more difficult to find a place to stay there. Check them out and check out all the conferences that are upcoming. By the way, there's the Whole Loan Trading Conference November 10th at the Phoenix Airport, as well as the Accounting and Management Conference at the Manchester Grand Hyatt in San Diego on November 15th and the 17th. Look forward to having being at a number of these and, again, seeing many of you at the conference. Let's get over to Joe Farr. Joe, I've got your website up here, mortgage, or excuse me, mbsquoteline.com. Love your site. Yeah, I do. The Thanks. date, real live information. It's really good stuff here. So what's going on in the markets, Fred? Yeah, we're we're down a couple, 30 seconds today, not much. We're off the lows. We've been down a little, uh, around 430 seconds. So it's... Uh, yeah, we've we've traded between down four and and flat on the day, so we're kind of in the middle of the range so far. And we just got uh, a couple treasury auctions today. The ten-year uh, saw some weak demand, and um, uh, while the three-year was just average, so uh, uh, nothing much coming out of that. But what has been coming out have been Fed speakers. Uh, you know, uh, talk about their effect on the market last week. But uh, again, this morning, not not a big effect on the market, but a mixed message coming from the Fed speakers that came out. Uh, uh, Lockhart, the Atlanta Fed president, came out saying that uh, it, it, we're in need of a serious discussion over rate rise uh, now. You know, as far as uh, the discussion at the meeting next week. Uh, Minneapolis Fed President uh, Kashkari uh, went the other way, saying that there's no huge urgency to do anything. So, uh, you know, the messages have been mixed coming out of the Fed, and, and uh, you know, I guess they're just uh, hoping to, to give the market uh, a sense that anything can happen. So uh, we'll see. That's not necessarily good for the market, which which is what happened a bit on Friday, and then you look at today right. and you go, okay. right. You know, uncertainty. We don't like that so much. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Leo, uh, Leo Bernard is speaking. Uh, going to be speaking while the show's okay. going on. She starts at one fifteen, so we'll find out what happens with her. But last week, uh, it was really an interesting week. Um, a little volatile, as uh, more so than we've seen lately. Uh, early in the week, prices were driven by weak data. You know, you kind of expect that to happen, right? And then later in the week, prices were first lowered by uh, central bankers, both uh, uh, in the U.S. and abroad. So uh, on Tuesday, the, the weak data that created some nice improvement in MBS prices was the ISM Services Index. It fell well short of expectations. That's been an index that's been pretty consistent and has been a nice driver of economic activity, at least as far as the services index goes. So when it came in at 51.4, when 55 was expected, it was uh, uh, considered a concern. It was the lowest reading since 2010. So on that day, MBS prices improved 11.30 seconds. Uh, you know, that's a bit of a big move for uh, that index, but, you know, with, uh, with the, the, Big drop in the Fed numbers coming the, the Friday before, and the manufacturing being weak uh, the week before, and right. and with the Fed being data dependent, you know that kind of weakness you would expect a, a reaction that it might signal that the Fed would be less willing to raise rates. But uh, then the Fed speakers started kicking in. Uh, before that, the ECB uh, meeting was held, and Mario Draghi indicated that there was no. 
low, no hint of further increases in their quantitative easing program. And that was a bit of a surprise. I think some people were expecting that he might extend their current bond purchase program. And when he did nothing, or when the ECB did nothing, uh, it was negative for markets around the world, including the U.S. Um, And then to follow that on Thursday, uh, or on Friday, um, several bond uh, Fed board members uh, spoke, Rosengren, spoke. He's been a long-time dove, but uh, he was saying a reasonable case can be made for raising the Fed funds rate sooner rather than later. Then later in the day, Gerilio, uh seemed uh, a little more hawkish uh, uh, about raising rates, and that was a bit of a surprise. So, you know, in the end, for the week, MBS prices fell uh, about 4.30 seconds. They fell 13.30 seconds on Friday alone as all these Fed speakers were uh, causing the market to anticipate a, uh, uh, a greater degree of chance for a Fed funds rate hike. Uh, uh, looking at the Fed futures, uh, the rate hike, the likelihood of a rate hike at the next meeting rose to about 25%. Uh, the likelihood of one by December rose to 60 and and, uh, and so, you know, if the Fed was trying to warn the market, they, they did a pretty good job. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, Very and uh, so, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, and then uh, looking at overall, but this week we've got uh, this week is just really all stacked up. It looks like, other than treasury auctions, Thursdays like everyone put their yeah. money down on Thursday. <laughs> That's right. I don't know if you want to bet your money, but but do pay attention. Yeah. Uh, Thursday ought to be a big day you know like you said the uh, the only thing before thursday is going to be the the treasury auction the 30-year treasury auction that comes out tomorrow uh we won't get any more fed speakers as the um, quiet period begins today uh, i guess at the end of the day uh, so let's look at thursday the biggest report to come out on thursday is going to be the retail sales number you know that, that's a a big indicator of a large part of our economy and uh, right now, the consensus is calling for a small decline in the overall number. Uh, but when you strip out the uh, auto automobile effect, uh, it's they're they're expecting a nice increase. So um, that comes out at 8:30 on Thursday. Uh, also on Thursday, as you mentioned, that's the big day. We're going to get PPI data. Uh, we're going to get uh, uh, industrial production and a couple regional manufacturing indexes. The Empire State Index is coming out as well as uh, the Philly Fed. Um, then on Friday, the the other uh, inflation component, the CPI, comes out t- Friday at at 8:30. So, you know, next Fed meeting is uh, the week after on the 21st. Uh, and you know, they're data dependent, so all this data could have uh, an outsized in, impact on MBS prices and mortgage rates. Well, it's a, you got to get to this website, folks. If you're not uh, subscribed to MBS Quoteline, you're making a mistake. Great, concise, all in one page. I love it. Uh, a lot of good services out there, but I mean, I tell you, this one it's it's so concise. That's why it's on. <laughs> Joe knows how many times I log in in a day. It's on. You are. Constantly. You're on the mobile side a lot. I'm on the mobile side a lot. I'm in and out of it. If I'm not in the office, I'm checking out what's going on. So it's really, really valuable stuff. So you want to learn how to get signed up, stay tuned. Listen to this message. We're going to be right back after we hear how to get signed up with MBS Codeline. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility over the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to mbsquoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. mbsquoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. 
Uh, you don't forget to turn on the mic. I'm turning on the wrong <laughs> system here. Anyway, good to have you with us, everybody. We've got Paul Marlowe dialed in, giving us an update on what's going on. Check out his website at Inside Mortgage Finance, which is also www.imfnews.com. Great website. Paul, good to have you with us. So glad you could make it. I know there was some question whether or not you could do it, but it's always so much better when you tell us what's going on than me reading your headlines. So let's run through it. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me once again. Uh, listen, what do we got here? Uh, you know, a little bit more of the same on the banks. Um, you know, their mortgage-retained portfolios keep going up. Uh, that's, you know, probably not surprising. Uh, banks and thrifts held $1.90 trillion of first liens at the end of June. That was up uh, about $44 billion from the end of March. Uh, the interesting thing here is to look at the securitization rate of jumbos, and it was a paltry 1% in the quarter. Uh, right. You know, I mean, listen, we've talked about this before, and we'll continue to talk about it. It is just, you know, there's, it's too economical for banks to, you know, to keep jumbos. I mean, it's a great deal for them. It's a great return. And they're going to keep hogging, go hog, hog wild on this stuff till, uh you know, something turns. And the question is, at what point, you know, does it turn? I, You know, I've talked to analysts about this, and they all, all point out all the excess deposits banks have. And they got to put that money somewhere, and you know they're putting it in jumbos. And because does that mean they don't see enough good loans out there, uh, especially in the C and I space? That's one theory. Uh, I don't know when that's going to turn, but it's 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 an ongoing story, and we'll continue to look at it. Uh, Garrett McCauley. By the way, before Garrett, yeah, but let's go into what's C and I space just for our listeners that may not be familiar with that term. Uh, commercial and industrial loans, business loans, That's right. industrial, C and I. So at least I think it is. That's <laughs> no, I know I the industrial is. part. I sometimes I, yep. I, I, you know, have we, old we age and it's terms- the C. I forget what the well, C is. I didn't is. mean to put you on the spot, but I, I, no, I was okay. thinking it was that too. So I didn't want to go. Boom. <laughs> so anyway, commercial industrial. If someone's wrong, please correct. call in and correct me. I'm not perfect. Yeah, correct. Uh, and I'm not a banking reporter. We we generally we cover commercial real estate inside mortgage finance. Yeah. We don't we don't cover commercial loans per se. Anyway, yeah. uh, Garrett McCauley, they're a consulting firm yeah. on the West Coast. Joe's got a there. very interesting newsletter, uh, I, and I like reading it. He does a lot of different things, consulting work, and he mentioned it in his new one that he, that they consulted on three M&A deals in the past month. Uh, two were in the Mid Atlantic. One was in the Midwest. One apparently was making money hand over fist. He did not name the companies, and I, of course, uh, contacted him. He said he can't can't mention right now. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. That's okay. Who knows? Uh, but, it, you know, M&A activity is picking up, uh, and we're probably going to see a lot more of it. The question is how much more. Uh, a lot of lenders, I, I talked to a bunch of warehouse guys last week, you know, their clients are just, you know, making money hand over fist right now in the origination space. Servicing is a little dicier because you got the markdowns because of prepayments. But, you know, the origination business is really good. Uh, we talked to recently Quicken Loans. Uh, they had a record month in uh, August. Matt Ishbia at uh, United Wholesale Mortgage, record month for them. We've been hearing stories about other non-banks that have had phenomenal August. Uh, and the question is, you know, what's 2016 going to turn out to be? Uh, you know, we're, we're already looking at probably in a $1.8 trillion year. If you might recall, the beginning of the year, I think NBA was predicting like $1.2 or $3 trillion. Uh, last year we did about $1.7. So it's going to be a darn good year for the industry. The only bad thing is all the markdowns that uh, some of these guys have to take on the servicing rights. So that's right. something to keep um, keep an eye on. We also had a poll on the Inside Mortgage Finance website. 91% of lenders that answered that poll said the second half is going to be better than the first half. That poll is – we're probably going to pull it down in a day or two. It's up on the uh, IMF News, uh, WWIMF News website. Check it out. A large gain uh, in wholesale lending and non-prime lender Angel Oak. Uh, they recently came to market with a non-prime securitization, sort of deep haven, I should point out. Uh, we have the offering documents, a lot of interesting information there. Uh, Angel Oak does a lot of wholesale lending. Uh, and their volumes are way up. Uh, not, you know, huge overall, but still they're up. Uh, uh, Angel Oak did, I think, $222 million in non-prime wholesale in the first half. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, rural Housing Service, we wrote about this a while ago. Uh, they're cutting their fees. That's going to help uh, make more of those loans come to market. Uh, the, the fee cut 
was announced several several months ago. We wrote about it then. Uh, it's just a reminder because the fee cut goes and uh, becomes effective on October one. One uh, short take section GSC Plaintiff Perry Capital. Uh, they're just one of many uh, hedge funds suing the government over the GSC takings case, the net worth sweep profit uh, that's been going on for a long time. There, there was a journal. I think it was Journal of Bloomberg. They reported that their asset base fell, uh, I think, down to $4 billion from $10 billion a year ago. Uh, that can't wow. be a good thing. Uh, and they're, no. you know, they lost their GC case. It's on appeal. Uh, and there's more of those cases out there. Uh, there's so many of them I've lost track. We we write about them from time to time. Some some got lost. Some are on appeal. Some are moving forward. Uh, this is all tied to the net worth profit sweep that's, that was installed a couple of years ago. Uh, Tony Renzi, the man who's charged with trying to save Walter Investment Management Corp, at least get the thing back on track. He starts today. Uh, Di- he's at Ditech Financial. That's the sub of Walter. Uh, they lost a bunch of money in the first half. They're hoping to turn that thing around. Uh, he was going to start in November. Now they moved up his start date. Uh, that's on the website as well. And that's pretty much the long and short of it. One just hiring note, auction.com uh, hired Patrick McLean as their senior VP of auctions. Uh, and that is about it for right now. Yeah. So what do you think is going on in the auction space? And and also, remember, we used to have Pedestal, Ultra Prize, and those online trading platforms. Oh, man. Any, Boy, you bring back that memories. That is. Yeah, well, some for some of us, it was nightmares. We worked some of those. But um, uh-huh. you know, it was uh, – do you see anything, any movement in that space at all, Paul? Any, any, in any indication? what particular space are you talking about? Uh, the the well, auction about- business is the non-performing business, and that was uh, – right. and, and our yeah, that was that was the forte of um, auction.com, selling homes, selling – Right. Uh, they were selling non-performing loans, but I don't think they've done a lot of that business. That's what uh, I that thought they were doing, listen, some non-performing. Yeah, I mean, listen, all the big action is at Fannie, Freddie, and HUD. Uh, right. You know, there's, you know, home, you know, you don't see as much news about home auctions uh, or the single-family fam- rental business. I mean, with the prices of homes going up so much, it seems like that business, that business model is sort of waning, shall we say, because, you know, it's no longer so economical anymore to buy homes in bulk and rent them out at a profit. I mean, right. that's just my observation um, right now because, you know, you know, the, the the deals are gone. You can no longer buy homes dirt cheap in some of these markets. So you know, yeah, I, that's that's I the end of that part. Yeah, it is. I, I think that's that's true. I think that I need to introduce you to uh, Alan Weiss at Revex. There's some real innovative things that he's working on and involved in. So I need to tell you about that and get an article sure. up on that. We're gonna we've we've had him on the radio program. So go back and listen to that radio program. Thanks so much, Paul. Be sure to check out Paul's website at imfnews.com does a great job covering he and Brandon Ivey and uh, let's see here Brand, we have a, with George Brooks we have the whole group there it's just a good group and they report on a lot of good stuff so thanks so much for coming on each and every day and I hope we can always have you back but I know there's sometimes you will miss you from here from time to time but thank you David you, have a good week okay. bye bye you bet you too sir it's good that normally we'd have Alice Alvey here. She has uh, just got back from vacation and had a lot going on and uh, could not make it today. So uh, we're going to run over to Sam Garcia and then get over to the Prophet Doctor after an ad break here. So uh, without further ado, let's get an update on Mortgage Daily. Sam, good to have you with us, friend. Hi, David. How are you doing? Good, good. Good, good, my friend. Hot days of Texas right. and hot news stuff. Now the Bush administration, I see that's on the one on the top side of your website. I mean, you're right there in old Bush country. So give us an update on what you see going on in the industry. And I love also I love some of the metrics and the data that you put out. That's just really great, valuable, nice balance to what Paul does. Go for well, it. That, uh, that, that headline you just mentioned, uh, the Bush administration official recall September 11th. That was uh, an interview, actually, I did yesterday with Bryant Montgomery. He was a... Uh, he was a FHA commissioner during the Bush administration, yeah. but before that he had a, a job uh, actually that was a little bit more close to the president. And he spent um, September 11th in Florida uh, with the president, flew with him to Louisiana and off to the bunker from there, and also went with him to wow. New York when he went that following Friday. So he really had some interesting insight. Um, you know, the one thing he kept impressing on me was uh, that – 
the whole day, uh, the president was so adamant about getting back uh, to Washington and showing the people, you know, here I am, I'm back, I'm not hiding or whatever. And uh, right. he also, you know, one other interesting little note he made was that they were walking through that pile of rubble in New York, and because uh, it had rained earlier that day, that was on a Friday when they went to visit the firemen and so forth, um, it kind of created like a, uh, oh, this mess because of the uh, all the – uh, plaster right. and everything that came out of the buildings, and he was just talking about how he and some of the other administration officials just uh, never could bring themselves to clean the shoes off, and what he wound up just basically putting them in a bag and saving them, you know, and sealing it up. But uh, it was pretty interesting, you know, to hear it from someone who was firsthand there watching it all go down. And I'm sure everybody was, of course, watching some of the memorial stuff yesterday. But uh, anyway. Um, you know, we we didn't uh, do the show because of the Labor Day holiday, so I wanted to kind of just reach back to the employment report. I think that's always right. important, and of course it reflects uh, what Paul was mentioning, and that's we're having a stellar year in originations. Um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics report indicated that non-bank mortgage jobs totaled 311,600 people as of July. That was nearly 5,000 more people than a month earlier. So that was a pretty good hmm. bump, uh, especially given that it was a relatively weak overall report for all industries. Um, and then, you know, we used that data, the BLS numbers, and combined that with origination market share to estimate that including jobs at uh, financial institutions, there were roughly 652,300 people working in the mortgage industry during July. And that includes... Uh, about 280,200 mortgage jobs at banks, another 60,500 at credit unions, and then the 311,600 people at non-banks that the BLS recorded. So, uh, again, a really stellar month. And uh, as far as uh, jobs go, and it sounds like we're going to head that, continue heading that direction because yep. you know the applications we saw in the second quarter earnings reports showed that application volume was up and or at least strong. So it was likely to mean that volume was going to keep holding up or doing better at a lot of these publicly traded places. Um, EMBS provides some data to us, and that indicated that um, there was $135 billion in fixed-rate agency MBS issuance during August. Um, that was the biggest month since July 2013, three years, the biggest month in three years. Of course, that's you know right in line with what we're talking about as far as higher originations and bigger employment. Um, issuance was up uh, 12% from July at Fannie, while Freddie's uh, was up 7%, and securitizations at Jenny uh, were up just a percent. Uh, the Mortgage Bankers Association reported that its mortgage credit availability index was lower in August. Uh, MBA noted that the decline was uh, driven by one mid-sized investor closing their correspondent operations. But, you know, the thing is, is that index, which was revised recently, and it looked a little better for the moment, um, it's been down three out of the last four months, which indicates credits tightened three out of the last four months. Uh, I think I've mentioned to you before that I, I attribute that to, you know, you have this kind of volume going on. You don't need to be too flexible or loosen your guidelines because you have so much refinance activity coming in. So uh, maybe we'll see that thing start to loosen up a lot more uh, uh, when refinances aren't so, you know, strong at, uh, like they've been. Uh, the American Bankruptcy Institute reported that uh, there were 65,300 non-commercial bankruptcy filings in August, and that was the most consumer bankruptcy since April. So we had a, another an uptick there, uh, not not a good number there, at least uh, for the month of uh, last month. Um, Freddie Mac announced that it is selling $1.1 billion in non-performing mortgages. Um, those loans are currently serviced by Ditech and Wells Fargo. And not too long before that, Fannie Mae reported that um, it sold uh, 6,800 non-performing loans for $1.06 billion. So that's a couple of billion dollars in secondary marketing activity of distressed uh, loans. Uh, and, of course, uh, clearing out you know, the two companies' in investment portfolios, which is an objective that's uh, been there since they went into conservatorship. Incenter Mortgage Advisors announced that uh, – it's got an offering of MSRs on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Freddie Mac loans. Um, and that includes, uh, 
they mentioned a bulk sale and a flow offering, and I'm just working out the numbers to what the, the two combined could be if they maximize what the uh, flow offering is. It's uh, MSRs on more than a billion dollars in loans, so it's a pretty decent-sized transaction. It's a deal, um, yeah. You know, last week the CFPB announced uh, that it issued a consent order against Wells Fargo Bank that included a hundred million dollar okay. penalty. Uh, that's the biggest penalty ever issued by the CFPB. And in addition, there was eighty-five million that's going to be paid to the OCC and to the Los Angeles City Attorney. And uh, what's happened was uh, thousands of Wells Fargo employees uh, allegedly set up unauthorized bank accounts and credit cards and. This was driven by, you know, uh, trying to earn some uh, bonuses. Um, in all, Wells Fargo fired 5,300 people over that incident. Extraordinary um, story. Yeah, and, uh, and the Independent Community Bankers Association and the uh, National Association of Federal Credit Unions both issued statements indicating uh, their outrage over the incident. And of course, you know, capitalizing on, you know, uh, how it could be better. But, you know, Wells Fargo is a pretty good brand, and uh, that, that definitely hurt. But they, you know, came clean. They uh, dealt with it. You could see, like I mentioned, they uh, terminated employees that were involved. So uh, finally, our uh, our mortgage in, mortgage market index, which is based on average per year, user rate locks by open close clients slipped one percent last week um, but because you know rates fell uh, refinance activity was up for the second week in a row so those are some of the Good biggest stuff. headlines we had over the last week big headlines and then I saw the one on here first plus how I had did not had forgotten or I'm not sure I was even aware the first plus the mob took over uh, started to control over a first plus financial group. They were down here in San Antonio, so I, I got to go back and read that story. So I've always got a lot of good stuff on this website. Of what's going on? I pay attention to that kind of stuff because I look at this is a great industry to launder money, and so uh, pay attention to some of these stories, especially when things go wrong and. When, well, you do know, you remember when Dan Marino used to be the spokesman, and that company was just blowing and going with their 125% LTV yeah. loans, and then it's just, uh, you know, the the uh, I think it was in the late 90s when uh, really they just it fell apart over there. there. The whole yeah. subprime market was struggling yeah. at that moment. But, uh, yeah, that was interesting how the Lucchese crime family slipped in and put their all of their people on the board of directors and then started siphoning off money. Yeah, it's a really it's a fascinating story, but it's one that we need to pay attention to because it's amazing how subtle things like that can happen. Some good people are at that company, and they uh, all got tainted with that whole thing, so it's bad news. But anyway, great website. Love it. Check it out, folks. MortgageDaily.com or get a hold of Sam Garcia. You can always reach Sam uh, at the website or on his, on his email, Sam Garcia at MortgageDaily.com or his phone number, 214-521-1300. Thanks, Sam. Much appreciated. Thank you. Updates, Brett. Appreciate it. Let's go out and get the KPI of the week. Uh, no, excuse me. We're going to go to ArchMI. I want to get Jim Jump on the phone here, talk about the ArchMI deal, and then uh, we're going to run out to Andy Shell, the profit doctor, right after this. So, Jim Jump, give us the insights about the Rate Star program. Good to have you on. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about Rate Star from Arch Mortgage Insurance. RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to Archimize's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive ArchMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. Good to have you with us, Jim. And then be sure to check out their app on, by going to their website or go to our website on the radio program. There's a link you can click right out to, and it'll get you right there. And get a hold of one of the local, your local ArchMI rep. Great group of people. 
the prophet doctor's on the phone. The doctor's in the house, and he's uh, ready to give us some prescriptions and what can fix your bottom line. Andy, hey, good to have you here, friend. Licken. Thank you, sir. It's such a pleasure to be on the show today. Hope you're doing great. It is, yes. Other than I had to go to Seattle, you're up there a lot with your clients, uh, Axia, but I was up there, unfortunately, for a funeral this weekend, and so... Oh. It makes you uh, one of those things for an old friend, mentor, and a guy that just was really big in my life uh, passed on, and and uh, he's in a great place, and but we miss him, and but we went there and honored him. So anyway, I was thinking about you when I flew up there. It was gorgeous up there this weekend. Anyway, yeah, it's what gorgeous. you got for us today? Well, you know, when it's you pretty know, in Seattle, no better pretty place. Anyway, sorry for speaking over you there. Go ahead. You know I love uh, technology, and I, I love information, and when I'm up in – Say in San Francisco, I can pull out my iPhone and I can push a couple buttons and I can tell what the temperature inside my house is. I can tell if anybody's standing at the front door, if a cat walks in my back door, or if any window or door gets opened. So, like, if I'm out in San Francisco and I can do all these <laughs> cool things with my iPhone, I, I with a business owner and I say, "Hey, pull up your iPhone and tell me what the profit was for your Austin branch last month." And he looks at me and goes, what do you mean? I go, let me see you, you pull up your iPhone, pull up, open the financial app, and, and tell me how much you made in Austin last week or last month. And I'll go, I don't know what you're talking about. We can't do that on paper. How am I supposed to do that on my phone? And you know what, Dave? That's a bad answer. That's, a, that's really not right. the right way to run a business. It's today's the 12th, and how many people have their financials? With the ability to know how much what was your what was your profit? I don't mean what was your volume. I mean what was your profit in every office? What was your profit on every originator? What was your profit in in uh, products? What was your conventional profit? What was your government product profit in each market? And you you know you can get those kind of answers just by using QuickBooks. We help people get those numbers every day just using basic systems like QuickBooks with the more advanced systems like Loan Vision and Accounting for Mortgage Bankers. You can do that too, plus more, but people don't even have the basics. And so it seems to me that we've got to take some of this technology that, that is around us everywhere and deploy it so business owners can get essential information about their business. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? That's a great idea. So true, too. It's absolutely the truth. And, and well, I was just talking to someone about you, giving me your name the other day, talking to him about what you can do with QuickBooks. A lot of people think, you know, well, QuickBooks is pretty limited. It can't really, doesn't really meet the mortgage banking world. But you actually have figured out how to make QuickBooks do amazing things for mortgage bankers. And I think it's important that they know that you're a valuable resource for that, Andy. It's really good. Good, good stuff. Thanks, Dave. Yep, yep. With QuickBooks, you can get low-level profitability. You can know your profit per originator using QuickBooks, and we can show you how. It's not a sales pitch. It's just you don't have to spend tons of money to get this information, but you have to have this information to have a successful yeah. business. I like that. My favorite ad that uh, we've we've run uh, for you or that we've run together is uh, it's the tenth of the month or it's the eleventh month. Do you you know where your kids are at? Do you know where your financials are at? I love that. <laughs> You can't drive that home enough. We need that more, that reminder. It's so good. Good to have you on, Andy. Really appreciate you coming on and being a part of the podcast. And then uh, I've even though this is a pre-recorded comment, uh, the interview that's coming up, I would really love to get your feedback on some of this stuff because you are, you're also into process as I am and helping clients work in the area of process. So appreciate you being on, and I uh, look forward to having you back next week, Andy, for sure. Thanks, Dave. You bet. Well, let's head over to KPI, find out what Motivity Solutions, KPI of the week is. Love having these guys on and telling us what's going on. So we've got John Maynill with the latest KPI of the week. So let's hear about the app to funding, or excuse me, app to underwriting KPI. John? Hi, Dave. Thanks very much. Great to be back. And this week's key performance indicator is application to underwriting cycle time. This KPI is a measurement delivered at business days, and tracking this metric helps lenders ensure that their processes upstream from underwriting are as efficient as they can be. Our clients generally find that the sooner their qualified borrowers receive an underwriting decision, the less likely those borrowers are to shop around. So this KPI can ultimately boost app-to-funded pull-through as well, which is the KPI we focused on last week. So we're really beginning to connect the dots between operational efficiency and customer satisfaction. 
And once again, this and other KPIs we will be talking about in the coming weeks always demonstrate that what gets measured gets results. And uh, with that, I will thank you again, Dave, and turn it back to you. And looking forward to seeing you next week, John, and many others there at your users' conference in Denver. A lot of people are showing up. Big registration list. Man, I couldn't believe it how many people are being to be there. Folks, if you're not using Motivity Solutions for their KPIs and understanding what your key performance indicators are, be sure to check it out at MotivitySolutions.com or call them at 303-721-9000. Well, about, let's see, back in March, I caught up, in fact, I met Keith Pulaski a year ago at the Motivity Conference. They are a power user of the Motivity uh, Solutions and of, of their measuring KPIs, and Keith is really in analytics. Well, probably one of the most purposed mortgage bankers I know on in the industry. I mean, wants to know, like Andy says, where's my financials? This guy has them at, at, uh, with very early in the month, and one of the most diligent, guys that I know at managing his business. So I met him at Motivity, not surprising I'd find him there. And I had him on my radio program back then, way back then, caught a few glimmers and glimpses of the wisdom that he has and how he's using technology so powerfully, on the cutting edge, always there. And I, so I got to interview him again on, in March of this year. And I wanted to find out how this project, this efficiency project that Alice and I launched in his office uh, it was going. So we brought him on, and so with that, I want to share an interview that I recorded with Keith Pulaski this past Friday. So here you go. Keith, good to have you joining us again on the radio program. Very excited about your company, and just for those listeners that may not know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company again. Yeah, Dave, uh, a pleasure to be back. Enjoyed our last time on the show. Um, one of the founders of Radius Financial Group, an independent mortgage banker, 100% retail located up uh, in the Boston market, serving the New England market primarily and some uh, some of our snowbirds in Florida. We've been in business uh, approaching uh, 18 years and uh, got about 100-plus employees in the company. Just received our Fannie Mae ticket and looking at us. Yeah, thank you. And uh, hopefully have our Freddie ticket before National and Ginny is in the work. So we're at that, that point of... Uh, you know, maturing as an IMB and taking those next steps. And while you and your compadres are out here helping us do some process stuff, that's just part of a growing company that needs to be able to scale. So, you know, you can either sit where you're at and do things the way you did before, or sometimes you need to take action if you uh, have plans to continue growing your company. Well, you are a leader in your market. You're a leader in the industry. I mean, even David Stevens, you caught his attention. He flew in to take a look at what you're doing because what you are doing at – your company, Radius Financial Group, is not like anything I've seen at many other companies. And so I celebrate your leadership, and I celebrate what you're doing and your vision. A lot of companies. Well, your, talk- your, your, your words are kind. Your words are kind, David, uh, and I'm humbled by it because uh, we're just trying to be smart mortgage bankers, and and uh, I think what we do as an industry, obviously, it's uh, been wildly affected by the regulatory environment, but. Uh, it's about blocking and tackling and doing and doing the right things at the right time and you know i think uh, those are that's why we have a successful recipe well you when we were together in your office you gave me a bill of check plaque now bill of check, i'm a clc hawk so you know there's a little adversary there but i have it in my office it said ignore the noise do your job and that's what we want to talk about we want to talk about how your people and how you're leading people to do their job there. You talked about a little bit a few moments ago. You said something about we want to be an intelligent company. Expand on that. What does being an intelligent company mean to Keith Pulaski? Well, I think it's making almost all of our business decisions and even our task decisions based on facts. That means you have to have technology in place that uh, measures the data that's uh, in the factory floor, right? So, our job is to loan manufacturing quality and build quality loans for sale into the secondary market. And uh, we have to make sure that we're doing all of the, the decisioning based on facts. So we're all about measuring uh, everything that happens in the company. And then you can only do that if you have a solid foundation of process. So you have to be both very process-driven and also data-dependent. And that's really how we wake up every morning and, uh, and how I think about what's going on in my business is that we, 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 we make sure 
that the decision we're doing is uh, based on the, the data and the timelines that we've set from a key performance metric and, and various things of that nature. But if you don't have if you don't have a, if you don't have a a solid defined communicated process that everybody works on regardless of what their department is, uh, it's very hard to keep the, the the train on the tracks. When you were making some of your opening comments, you talked about, uh, and you talked about this in your previous interview on uh, March 28, 2016, you talked about those that manage by their gut and then those that manage by a purpose or by a compass. Now, those, the compass part is my words, but you very much have that sense, and you believe in putting a clear communication out to your staff of what is expected and how to go about it. But it's not a top-down management. Talk about your management philosophy as to how a company, how a mortgage company specifically, should be managed, because I think it's exemplary, and I want others to hear about it. Well, as you witnessed when we when we went through the exercise with your firm of uh, of really looking under the hood and and trying to uh, isolate choke points in our own mortgage manufacturing process, uh, we involved all the stakeholders. So if you were part of opening slash setup, then those people were in the room to give insight uh, to where they thought their job needed other resources or where we were forcing them to do tasks that they didn't think would, were, you know, about. So everything we look at is try to measure efficiency and velocity, right? Mm-hmm. And we try to we try to get as, as, as many loans as possible across, you know, a static factory floor that uh, we, we involved all the stakeholders and then had them buy in. You know, they had to sign, basically sign off on their both upstream and downstream customers and what their handoffs would look like. And so that process took a lo- took us a long time, and it's still a it's still a work in progress. Uh, it's not, I, I don't know that we'll ever be done, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but we still got much heavy lifting uh, ahead of us. Uh, obviously, when we talked in March, I don't know that every everybody would have guessed where we are from a volume standpoint. So, you know, sometimes business gets in the way, but we're certainly a better a better manufacturer of loans today because of that process that we started last fall, and we still have a, a lot of work to do. Uh, but you, you have to you have to have buy-in from from those that are actually doing the task, and 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 have managers direct that. But we really allowed our uh, allowed our employees and our processors and underwriters and closers and post closers to really refine and build out. Uh, the workflow and the processes, uh, as well as uh, determine uh, their key performance indicators, the KPIs, uh, where we uh, obviously vetted them from a management standpoint. But it's really hard to then ha- allow an employee to backpedal from this. So they didn't have to hold them accountable to what everybody's agreed to. And um, it, it, it has worked out well for us, but uh, the, the project is not done. And we still got some more work. And as I said earlier, I think it, as this, this industry just keeps moving faster and faster, uh, that I don't know that the project will ever be done. It's sort of going to be in a continuous learning loop and, and, and trying to refine and get better every time. I think it's almost going to be an infinite cycle. It is. I think you're no question that this is something that never is done because what is our industry known for? We're going through change. I mean, this industry is going through a transformation. So uh, we are, we're, we're going to, it will never be done. It's one of those things you make a, a commitment to it. But one of the things that impressed me is how you went about it was the involvement. Now you talked about some of that in the earlier podcast. Let's talk about the results of involvement. Talk about it from a morale standpoint. You always have had your people, and by the way, I wish everyone in the industry could come and fly in and take a tour of your offices. It's like a high-tech environment. You have a fabulous kitchen at the heart and the center of your building. You literally have a multi-purpose room where people can do yoga. They can do uh, all the exercise. I mean, this room, we rolled the tables in the middle of the room, but they got rolled up, folded up, and then you have mats around there where people can do yoga. I mean, it's I'm really impressed, and that appeals to the millennials. And so there's a whole other genre with Dove conversation we could go down as to what you're doing and how you're doing it. But what I want to focus on is a morale, that it, what it did to how, as you watch people get invited to be involved. Tell me about that. Yeah, so prior to the process change, we started the whole metrics and measuring thing approximately two, two and a half years ago. 
and it was a cultural shift. People don't like to be really held accountable, um, and certainly then held accountable and sort of you know stack ranking against their peers within a, in a different work group. So there was some culture shock as we tried to push this out. Uh, really took some um, some intestinal fortitude by management because it would have been easier just to abandon it when you have people that are unhappy. But as it finally got into the staff that this wasn't going away and that we really were serious about measuring everything, uh, they then um, adopted it and took ownership of it. And I actually believe now that the, the result is that they want to perform in, in the top part of their work group. They don't want to be you know, the last rank. And uh, if they are the last rank, they at least want to be meeting the KPI set for the group. They don't want to be the one dragging down the average KPIs for the group. And they've, they've taken ownership. Now, obviously, as a growing company, we're bringing new people in, in the door. And when we bring new people in the door from the industry that have industry experience, especially, especially in the sort of skilled uh, work groups, processors, underwriters, closers, they're exposed to a little bit of culture shock as well because, we, you know, we, we sense and get that not many of my peers, you know, medium-sized independent mortgage bankers are doing some of the things that we're doing. Uh, I know that there are others out there um, yeah. that are, but I think uh, uh, that group that do do it the way that uh, we do it is is a smaller portion of the population of independent mortgage bankers than a larger portion. And um, yes. we get a little sticker shock when we do recruiting. So we've had to actually make full transparency in the recruiting process prior to hire and actually show the scorecarding and show the metrics so that we could get a sense whether these people can fit culturally into the organization. That's, yeah. Our friends at Motivity have a saying that what gets measured gets results. I think they borrowed it from someone else, but it's a great phrase. And what you do measure. And so a sense of being measured does have – it can be a bit intimidating to people. But the fact – what I saw when I was there, and I'd love to have you comment a bit on this, is the fact that they are, first of all, when they got over the shock that my opinion matters and that you're actually wanting my opinion, there was engagement. And at a level that I'm not sure people, it took a while for them to get used to. I mean, it's trust. I heard there's three T's when it comes to effective leaders. It starts with trust, truth, and then tact. And uh, I love those three T's. I saw it in an article and posted it in social media earlier this week. But when you look at building trust, they began to trust you. And I can't help but believe, well, I've heard from several of them since you and I were together in your office, and they've said they it is excited. It's exciting to be asked my opinion on how to do things rather than just told how to do things. So, give us some insights. Any any particular stories that leap up out of what we did together and what you're still ongoing doing doing on an ongoing basis? Yeah, I mean, I think what's happened is so the, the you know the the week the week plus that we spent with your group and I know you're out here twice yeah. that during that time. Uh, I think we laid the foundation for. You know, I think every company says, "Oh, we have an open door policy. Go ahead and go ahead. We have open door. You can say whatever you want to say." And and while it may be in the employee manual that we foster an open door policy, I don't know that it actually happens in many organizations. And it probably didn't happen in my own organization for a long time. But when we included the staff, everybody at line level, in the process revamp. I think that was sort of an aha moment for our employees where it, it sort of just continued and and as we as we do other things the 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 employees willingness to raise their hand and say hey can you come speak to me cuz I think I can add value here uh has has helped transform the company. Um we don't you know even when you go through a whole process remapping um you don't always get it right. Sometimes you feel pressed for time. And you may short short change it as as the day gets long, you know, especially in the in the skilled uh, positions that those were long sessions. Um, and uh, so we we really have seen uh, the willingness of of our employees to raise their hand and say, hey, you know what, we should have further thought about this, and what do you think about that? And and uh, we have made tweaks and other changes, and have moved various various things in, into 
earlier or later in the factory uh, assembly line. We, we, we talk about factory all the time here. Everybody gets it, that they have a role in the assembly line, and they have both upstream and downstream responsibilities, and we call them internal customers, and they, and they need to make sure that they're serving their internal customers, obviously all the while while still serving the external customer being you know, ultimately the borrower. Ultimately, right, yeah. Let's talk about service levels. As a result of you doing this, have you noticed a substantial change in service levels for your company? Well, I think, um, so here's, here's what I would say. You know, with TRID coming on us in October and basically having to get your CDs out three days prior, it was like someone just waved a wand and said, you need to do your jobs that much faster when we were already at all at capacity and we really didn't have three days that could just be magically taken out. It's why it's one of the main reasons that we actually went through this process is to say, do we really have three days here that we can squeeze out of our existing processes or factories or by tweaking them and putting tighter controls on what we're doing? Or do we need to say to our sales staff, we need X amount longer days in the sense of when we can close as a purchase producer and these types of things so we can realistically meet contract dates, et cetera. And um, so what has happened is is I believe that we found a way to squeeze maybe a day and a half um, out of the out of the previous workflow to pick up some of the that three day CD window. But we're obviously busy, David. Right? Everybody's oh, yeah. busy, right? And so uh, we're meeting a bunch of our metrics, but we're pushing a lot of loans. I think we're more efficient. Um, so I don't know that we've moved the needle in the sense of uh, I've, I'm, I'm now doing it in 21 days versus 28 days, but I'm certainly moving more units across uh, the, the assembly line and the factory floor than we previously were. And um, for the most part, sales is happy. You know, obviously sales always wish things were done faster. <laughs> my loan my loan's more important than someone else's loan, all that stuff. This is my best realtor, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think for the most part, We've got some good synergies between between sales and operations, and everybody is trying to live up to there. We call it an SLP, service, service level promise. I think we stole that from you. I don't know whether we did or didn't. <laughs> um, You're but, using uh, it. That's the most important part. Yeah, we're using it, right? And so people talk about that. And, uh, and well, let's we talk about that for a because I think that's a key part of it, and you really champion that. What we suggested, you champion it in your organization. And so talk about those service level promises and exchange. Run through that real quickly, and then I want to get into cost improvements. Uh, look at the time, how fast it goes. I just love talking to you, Keith. But run through that. What? Explain the SLPs. Yeah, so the SLP was, depending on where you, where you sit in the, in the assembly line, you know, call it from a processor standpoint, because I think everybody can. I mean, we all manufacture loans. So right. whether we call them whatever, there's all these tasks that have to get done, right? So we'll start with most organizations have a processor, right? Some, right. some, some, some individuals have a processor. So if we talk about a processor, downstream for the processor would be the sales function, right? So they have, they need to serve the LOs or loan officer assistants. And then upstream, the processor serves the underwriter, right? So that's where it goes to, right? So the processor sets the file up, gets it ready for underwriting, goes to underwriting. So what we've done is we, we have agreement uh, between both the upstream and downstream parties. So at the processor, the processor group would have negotiated with the sales group what they would do and what the sales group would do. So if the sales group said we would do A, B, C, and D, and that's what they actually delivered, then the processing group said if you give us A, B, C, and D, we will do X, Y, and Z in this time frame and under the in, 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 in this circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. And then we just moved, we just kept moving that whole process through the entire factory factory floor. So then processing had an upstream SLP to the underwriters that basically said, I will do A, B, and C for you. And then underwriting yeah. had to ne negotiate what they would do if, in fact, it came the way the processing came to it, right? Yeah. And so that those are really what we, we live to. And the other thing is, is it also takes away, if those are clearly defined and clearly communicated, sort of the Bill Belichick, just do your job, yep. um, it takes away finger-pointing. Yes, that's the best right? part of this thing. So, because so, everyone so, is so, clear to communicate it. Yes, go ahead. So when the ball gets dropped, because it's going to get dropped, right? There's humans involved. 
Yes. Right. So <laughs> the ball's going to get dropped. I didn't see that email come in or whatever it is. There's no finger point. It it, it removes the finger pointing and it takes the way it takes the it it it's sort of uh, one of the one of the things that I'm sure everybody else has experienced. This is processors enable LOs, underwriters enable processors. Everybody tries yep. to cover everybody's back when a ball's dropped. <laughs> you don't have to do this anymore. You just say, listen, I did my job. I did the XYZ that I said I was going to do. I met my service level promise. It, and, and it's not to skirt responsibility, but no. it's, to, it's just to hold everybody accountable in the For organization to, yeah, to do their job. Do their job. As Belichick so well, I have that. I look at that constantly. Well, as you know, as you know, that's in every one of my managers' office at eye level as you leave the office. It's Bill Belichick pointing at them saying, ignore the noise, just do your job. And, and I, uh, That's exactly where I hang mine. I saw it in your office, and I remember because I was so impressed with that. Uh, and there, So let's talk briefly about cost improvements. Have you realized, I mean, costs have been going up in our industry. So, I mean, because of regulation, costs are going crazy. So... Have you been able to quantify any cost savings this, or at least been able to manage costs more effectively as a result of this process? I mean, I don't want to share any sort of specific metrics, yep. David, but I can tell you my margins have never been better. That's good. That's it. That, see, that's what it's all about. I mean, well, giving people you know, the home dream of home ownership, financing that for ultimate customer, but in the process of doing so, having happy employees, good morale, and then doing so with fatter margins. Man, that's that's very very encouraging. Well, you, as you're aware, you know our trademark, uh, you know, uh, ad line is making mortgages better. And yeah. That's really what is concentric to everything we do. Did you make mortgages better today? Right. What did you do to make mortgages better? You know, I think uh, we're being rewarded for our efforts by the consumers that we serve, but as also as a purchase producer, the realtor builder developer community, how how uh, well they speak of radius. We're we're held in high regard that if you're you know a consumer coming into a realtor's office and saying, listen, I'm already working with radius, then uh, they usually just sort of say, okay, that's a great company, and uh, you should be you should be well served. And uh, you know we're proud of that. And I obviously have a very strong origination team uh, who you know that these are career loan officers. They do a really good job because the fact of the matter, David, as you are aware, you. You used to be an owner. Uh, yep. Is that uh, loan manufacturing quality starts at origination, and if, if the originators bring us good raw material, uh, the factory runs really much smoother <laughs> than uh, when we've got uh, poor origination. You're legendary in what you have, but then you did what I did. You crossed over to the operational side. Uh, some would say that's the dark side. I think it's the bright side. It's where it really happens. But then you look at some the team at Sarah, and you guys have put together the originators. You have some of the top originators in your markets working for you. So kudos to you. And I, what are some re compelling reasons why you would share with your peers as we wrap up this interview? What are some compelling reasons for people to say, you know, encouragement that they – compelling reasons why they should look at doing – business process mapping and notations and be purposed about their business. What would you encourage them? What are the words you'd use to encourage them to do so? Employee engagement. I mean, everybody tries to measure employee engagement, but if you don't live it as a management team, you, 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 you're not going to get the results. I mean, when you have an engaged workforce, you reduce turnover. You know, think of it. My LOs are being recruited every single day, just like everybody else's top LOs in this business. I have my underwriters being recruited. If they're engaged and believe that they have a voice in the company and can effectuate uh, the way the business is run, they're less likely to leave you for, quote-unquote, greener pastures, because many times greener pastures do not exist out there. And I just think it's employee engagement. I think if you, you have an engaged workforce and you have a fair relationship, that's the other thing that I always talk to my employees about, you know, I need I need to pay you fairly, and you believe that you're being paid fairly, and I need to believe that I'm getting a, a fair day's work for what we're paying for you. So if that's balanced, right, and and they're rewarded for efforts, especially when they meet their benchmarks and all of those things, then again, I think they they don't uh, they don't look to for greener pastures. They're, they sometimes yes. probably don't take those calls. So I think I think there's there's just you know building building um, an organization that was less susceptible to employee leakage 
yeah, uh, is is is, is one is one of the byproducts of it. And then also, I think you provide a better customer experience if you have your processes outlined and done, and people are working to to that end. Then you're going to give a better customer experience. And the fact of the matter is, is as we get into serving the millennials, who are very much, I want it now, I want it today. <laughs> yes. If you don't have that, you you're, you're going to have that potential consumer scratching their head as to why did I choose any specific uh, lender, whether that be Radius or anybody else. So I think I, I think you have to just be set on continuous and continuous. Uh, improvement and, and refining of your process, and um, you know, and if you need to engage outside people, because as small and mid-sized companies, uh, we don't always have the human resources that can be a project management team. Uh, it's money well worth spent to engage outside parties that can, in fact, be the drivers of it and make sure that the company is focused for the short time that they are there in getting this done because we've we've spent too many years in this business always letting business get in the way and if we look at the hockey stick growth we've had over the last four or five years it's because we stopped that vicious cycle yeah you know we'd have exactly. we're, we're, we're smart people would have would make a really good list of what we want to execute next year and then that list would dust it off in the fourth quarter and say holy crap we didn't accomplish any of this. <laughs> well, that's, that, and that's exactly what goes on in so many places. Keith, thank you. It's just such a joy to have you on. And I look at the clock, and I respect your time. But I want to say thank you so much for your, your sharing with our guests, our listeners, uh, what I think is to be one of the most exemplary companies in the industry. And if you haven't heard of Radius Financial, folks, you're going to because they are growing at an exponential rate. They're out. The people, the quality people. I mean, go back and listen to the August fifteenth broadcast where I had Dustin Demerit, Demerit of Radius Financial, talking about marketing yourself and your company. I have had more requests of the downloads of that podcast than uh, than I've had of many many others. So hopefully people will be enthusiastic about fixing their process as a result of your words of encouragement, Keith. Thank you so much for being here. Pleasure's mine, David. Uh, always enjoy speaking with you. Have a great day. You bet. It's good to have Keith on the program. Appreciate you tuning in and being a part of it. We ran slightly over. I apologize. We're six minutes over from what I like to try to get done here. Uh, another thing is I sit and listen to myself as I interview someone. You hear all these things going, man, could have said that in a few less words. So anyway, good to have you be a part of the podcast, everybody. Appreciate your feedback. Give us ideas and suggestions on what you would like to hear on this. We we do a lot of programs based on sponsor on um sponsor feedback but as well as our lister feedback lister feedback is just so important appreciate you tuning in next week we'll be broadcasting live from the motivity user conference in denver colorado looking forward to that we'll be interviewing a number of the people there and we're focusing of course kpis process management how to do what we are doing better faster cheaper and uh look forward to having you back and tune in next week Appreciate you so much. Have a great week, everybody, and look forward to broadcasting to you or talking to you from Denver next week. Have a great week. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln, of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Quoline, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening.